It was no music unless Mob Style did it. Nobody mentions Mob Style. Right. The actual guys who were getting money in the street, mm-hmm. one of them decided to make music. And thank you to AZ, because if, if he had did that, I would have been in the street. Because mm. it wasn't cool to be a musician. Yeah, they made it cool. But when Mob Style did yeah. that, it was okay now. I said, this is what I want to do. You are now watching Rhymes and Politics. Spit them balls. I swear, and I say this, I stress this in every interview. It's like this. It was B Street, nigga. That's mm-hmm. all that fucking mattered. DJing. Yeah. And in a matter of three months, niggas threw us in the pay, shoved us in the paid in full. That wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. This the early now, 80s? This the early this is, 80s, No, right? not the early 80s. This crack came out in 84. Matter of fact, 2024 is going to be Crack's 40th birthday. <sighs> Damn. So it's time for them to drop a new drug, if you know what I'm saying. If yeah. you know how the dominant society plays with numbers. They're getting ready to hit us with 2024, 2025. It's going to be different. And they just bringing a whole new cartel. We get ready to see a whole new violence we never saw. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Yeah. Rape is getting ready to skyrocket. A new drug is going to come out. You got a whole new cartel here that African Americans are going to have to either fight mm-hmm. or bow down to. We're going to be drilling for real. Right. 2025, Mark, many words going to be different. So why don't they even drill on the, the, other, the other side, like other coaches? Why we- well, they need us. They need us. They need African-Americans are so dope because we don't know nothing about ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not in our natural habitat. When yeah. we're in our natural habitat, we build. Yeah. But we're on the grid. This is not our natural habitat, so we're going to fight. They know that about us. Mm-hmm. They understand that clearly about us. We the biggest threat. Why everybody hate this one group? Who the fuck is y'all that I hate you so much? Mm-hmm. Niggas that never met us have a preconceived notion about us. The fuck I do? But they want to be us so bad, though. I want to take little pieces of your culture. I want right. to dance like you. And, and re- the realest thing that I've learned, because I do this thing with Hocus and them mm-hmm. on Clubhouse, Call the rabbit hole. Yeah. The thing that I learned about all of this is when we found these niggas out in Russia, they were cavemen. We wasn't no cavemen. We had haircuts already. We had jewelry on. Mm-hmm. We had boats. We had aircraft. When we found these niggas, we, we say, yo, whoa, whoa. We whoa. was in shape, athletic. Now we over here. We all out of obese, out of shape. Right. So when we found them, we was like, how y'all living like this? <laughs> Yo, hold on, hold on, my nigga. You don't got to kill a nigga for fire. Mm-hmm. This is how you start a fire. Hit the rocks. Word. So I'm ready when y'all ready. Ah, uh, <clears> yo. <throat> Check it out. It's your right hand man, Sai Chanel, tuned in to Rhymes and Politic, the show where we sit down with professionals from all aspects of hip-hop culture. Today we sitting with Grammy award-winning Platinum producer, Minnesota Money Boss of the Money Boss Players. Thank you, in the OG. building. Yeah. Yo, what's up, yeah, o- yeah, yes, what's sir. up, legend, Thank big you. bro, OG, veteran of the game. Thank you. Yo, for man, inviting been, me here. I absolutely. Appreciate. Nah, I salute you. You know, this is this is my. 
I like to call it think champs. <laughs> so we can think and, and, exchange, and exchange trade values. Let's do all that, you know man. Yeah. yeah, this is our little country club right here, man. Absolutely. So I want you to just give us, take us to the beginning. Like, give us some sound, because you're from the Soundview section of the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. I moved to Where? Soundview at seven years old in 1978. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm my first childhood, I'm from 169th in Boston Road. <clears throat> oh, okay. Initially, <clears throat> as a child, I went to the school, my building, 1254 Franklin. I lived right there. And then from there, we moved to Queens for a second. Mm. And then from Queens, we moved back to the Bronx to 183rd and Southern Boulevard, yeah. which is across the street from um, the Bronx Zoo. Right. And that was where I first experienced what's now known as hip-hop. So what was going on over there? Well, Pop I'm four gym. years old. Hold on. Yeah. I'm four years old, and my friends came to get me. So, you know, everybody will be like, yo, how the fuck was you outside at four? And the people that came to get you was eight and seven years old. Mm -hmm. Back then, they wasn't stealing children. Right, right, definitely. So your only command was coming here for lunch, and when them street lights come on, Get the fuck in the house. Yeah. So um, I came downstairs. It was two what you would call hard rocks. These are children, but to <laughs> me, I'm four years word. old, right? I remember that um, slang word. There was two brothers. Um, the one I used to fight, his name was Fish, yeah. and his older brother was Boy. Two tough little niggas. And they had the record. They had the radio. They had the big radio, and the first jam I ever heard was Gangsta Boogie, Gangsta Boogie, mm. Gangsta Boogie. And I'm like, oh, shit. So... People started dancing, but then after that, they played Apache. Yeah. And everybody hit the floor. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, so when they hit the floor and they start rolling on the floor, I just rolled on the floor with them. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> yeah. but that was my first experience. And from that, I was hooked. That wasn't even, that wasn't even a jam yet. Oh, wow, okay. Did, so did that make you start looking for hip hop, like looking for it on the radio, seeing where you could see it? Like, Cause did, did, did you start seeing like the graffiti artwork and all that stuff? Did it, did it start coming to your vision? Cause for no, me, there was nothing. You see, my aunt and my mother was back then. They called them Chiba Hawks. <laughs> they go get the big gigantic tray bags from over by Lambert. It was a little weed spot in the back block over yeah, there. The yellow oh, envelope. Okay. okay. So um, I would always be in the park as a child. Mm -hmm. There was no hip hop to 74, 75. It just, when it happened, it happened quick and it happened all over. Mm, okay. So, um, 183rd, in the back, which was Grote Street, Cortona Avenue, Prospect Avenue, there was a crew called the Together Brothers. Mm -hmm. And they were the first young black niggas I saw, like, really fly. They all had the denim jackets with the Together Brothers on the back. Mm -hmm. And um, it was another dude. Unbeknownst to me at that time, he was from Soundview, but he was fly. A nigga named Green Eyed Stanley. I remember. Okay, I seen him on a few. Uh, so Green Eyed Stanley had the red afro. He had the green pumas. Like at this time, to find certain shit, you was like that guy. Yeah. This is what we now know as hip hop. It wasn't hip hop. It was just a jam. Right. So when the jam would happen, there was certain figures that stood out at the mm -hmm. jam. Yeah. So when I first saw Green Eye Stanley, I was like four or five years old. It's 1976. That's when I was born. And Jesus before, yeah. Oh, and before then, 
This is why I say the whole Herc started hip hop shit, and I don't, I'm not dissing Herc. He's a founding father. Yeah. You couldn't bring out no DJ equipment. I want y'all to look at flying sleeves on YouTube, or look at the movie The Warriors. Mm -hmm. This the niggas that was outside. Black Spades. Spades, Savage Skulls, yeah. Savage Nomad, Power Bronx, Chinglings, Tough, Hard, some Tough, Hard People. But they was like the first like B-Boys and all that type stuff, dancing no. and all that all, at the jams and all that? Or they was they just, were gang members. I know that part, yeah, but they was also, some of them was dancers too. Well, they were older. Mm -hmm. You got to remember, look at the age I was back then. Hip-hop was a children's right, yeah. movement. Mm -hmm. The OGs, now if I'm five, six, seven years old witnessing this, the OGs were 13, 14. Right, yeah. Yep. They didn't have nothing to do with the 20-year-olds that was trying to knock each other's heads off, mm -hmm. who all turned out to be dope fiends and shit like that. But at yeah. that time, that was the time frame. So as a child, you're very impressionable there was certain images that was being, like back then, you know how something could go viral? Like Green wow. Eye Stanley, he was viral to me because he was fresh. Yeah, he moved around, he moved and around that was, too. He made me want to get an eyes on. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? It was all about the Lee suit, mm -hmm. denim, denim, the mock neck, because blacks had an affinity for the Asians, because back then, yo, and I, yo, back then you see two niggas get into a fight. Yeah, they was fighting dude, bro. They was fighting judo in the street, karate. Right. Everybody knew karate. Everybody was nice with their hands. Mm -hmm. So, that was the origins of hip hop. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I'm doing hip hop. It was like, yo, we bringing the music out. Right. So people could enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. But to bring the music out, you had to have juice. Because niggas would take your DJ set. Because remember, the Bronx is bombed out. Yeah. Niggas is broke. Niggas is poor. And you outside with some big speakers, we taking that. A <laughs> to the motherfucking K. Mm -hmm. So when, by the time you got to Soundview, did it, was it already over there already doing that? And Yo, then... I moved to Soundview in 1978, seven years old. And we only moved because of the blackout. Wow. And my family, my aunt and my grandmother was tight with a family that was from Soundview already called the Coleman's. Mm -hmm. the, there was Tasha Coleman, Phil Coleman. They lived in my old development on 183rd Street. So they told them about this new development opening up in Soundview. And then we moved to Soundview in 1978. But at that time, I'm at that age now where I'm moving around by myself. Eight years old. Niggas is on the bus, the train. Yeah, that was me Niggas too. is selling in newspapers. Yeah. We hustling. Yeah. Little Bronx kids. And when I got to Soundview, Soundview at so that time. So Soundview Projects wasn't built till when? 78? No, no. Soundview was built in 1954. Oh, okay. But my development was an old development that was built in the 1920s, which the Illuminati lived in at that time. But um, Academy Gardens in Soundview, um, they had just redone it. They okay. rebuilt it, did right. it over. Mm -hmm. So I was part of the new families that came in. And when mm. we got there, the shit was the equivalent of a 116th Street. It was the biggest heroin block in the Bronx. Soundview Project? 
Yeah, it's called Cozy Corner. It was the biggest dope block in the Bronx. So now when I get there, I'm seeing something else. Mm -hmm. While the rest of the Bronx is burnt down and looking stupid, yeah. Salvi looked it good. So so when people see those videos of the Bronx burnt down, what area of the or neighborhood That's was the that South right Bronx. there? That's the South Bronx. Like what streets Salve, and blocks? That's the number. Just so they That's can have 167th, 169th. That's the burnt down Bronx because there was white flight. All the Jewish landlords were burning the buildings for um, insurance, insurance money. money and getting out of there. Mm -hmm. So after a while, niggas just started burning their own buildings. <laughs> That's Because it was something to do. Let's yeah. burn a fucking they, building. They, yo, they, they had to be a part of that. We ain't going to miss out on none of this yeah, paper. Yeah, so they weren't getting the finance. They made it easy for the owners, the mm -hmm. landowners. Yeah. But in Soundview, Soundview was nice looking. It was a housing development, but it was kind of clean. Right. It was cobblestone, the streets. It wow. was it was a lot going on. The same thing that was going on on 116th Street in Harlem was going on at Soundview. Soundview was, quote unquote, maybe a million dollars a day. Because when we walk into junior high school, dope fiends is lined up. They're throwing the samples away, and the dope lines is down the block. But the only difference is 116th Street, I heard there was $5 bags. Mm -hmm. It was $2 bags. In Soundview, there was only quarters, mm -hmm. 3.5s of dope, and 7 grams of dope. So there was only quarters and 50s. Mm. So before you even got in production, you was, a, you was in the streets, active no, already. No, I'm talking about I lived here as a child. I'm seeing this. Yeah, so how... I'm now, still a good kid. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a but, baby. Uh, yeah, then eventually, as you get older, you get caught, swept into the street life. Well, that happened in 1984. Mm. That's when the crack game, crack ever came in? Because um, it just happened just like this. It was like, see the movie B Street? Yeah. That was us. That's all it was about, DJing. Because I always was an on and off DJ as a child. That was my thirst, music. How, how did you get that interest? I just love music. It's, it's, if, if it's in your DNA, it's in your DNA. Facts, yeah. You know? And, so where did um, you get the equipment to even start DJ? Who gave I you who even aunt, gave you equipment? My aunt, my aunt bought me some McDonald's turn. They called McDonald. Not McDonald's, but McDonald. Yeah. And they were not they had nine volt batteries in them and I had a bullshit mix. I had equipment. I was a big deal at eleven. <laughs> Yo, and I, I I I get I was getting allowance. So I take my allowance and I'm trying to think. The first record I had doubles of was um, How did you even know what equipment to get? Because uh, it was around. It was. It was just. This was something that was happening. Yeah. So did so, you talk to like the older guys that was out there doing it and just watching it? There was well, a lot of I had watching. a friend, bless his soul, rest in peace, my friend, Easy Tone. Mm -hmm. He had an older brother, and his older brother was down with Zulu Nation. He was okay. DJ Clark Gable. Yeah. So, going to junior high school, I would go to their house and cut up the records, mm -hmm. and we'd get to school late. But they were really part of my first experience DJing as a child. Oh, okay. So it was all happening around. And, you know, the jam, a jam back then would be the equivalent of, yo, Beyonce and Jay-Z having a free concert in Central Park. Right. That was your desire to get there. Like, what? It's a free concert? Mm -hmm. I'm going. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see DJ Mario? The man who started hip-hop? Let's go. Let's talk about it. We just have hip-hop 50. Let's get some so more. Look, Let's Herc, get some more knowledge. Herc, I love you. 
And Herc is one of the founding fathers. Right. But he didn't start shit. Let's talk about it. Disco King Mario. Remember, there's an issue now with bringing music outside. Mm -hmm. How can you bring music outside if you're not a part of a clique? Right. I had an honor Cedric Avenue, River Park Towers. Mm -hmm. I'm a baby going over there. There was no music. To live over there, you was kind of, well, we're moving on up <laughs> yeah. for the Bronx. Because mm -hmm. the Bronx is ugly. River Park Towers has always been nice looking, even though it's Unga Bunga Bing now. That's a fact. Um, 1600 Cedric was classy. Yeah. Now, once you go a few blocks up, you're in Popham, you're in. Then it's a little, it got a little burnt. Mm -hmm. But. Bronx River. You had to, and I'm not saying Herc was a chump or nothing back then, but you had to be connected within, because the way the Bronx worked is if you had a jam, the whole Bronx found out in a few hours. Mm. And everybody was going to come. Now you got thousands of people outside. Yeah. People was creating flies and handing them out, passing them around, right? Word of mouth was a motherfucker. Yeah. Word of mouth was hit enter. Yeah. <laughs> for back then. Yeah. So you had to have gang ties to bring some fucking music outside. Mm -hmm. So now revisit Disco King Mario. Bronxdale, when I went to high school with niggas from Bronxdale, you had a few niggas like Sean CeeLo from the Legion, Poppy Dave from Fed Magazine, mm -hmm. and another dude who passed Kahali. They was like the fly niggas out of Bronxdale. Yeah. But Bronxdale, I couldn't understand why these niggas were so tough. <laughs> In Soundview, we called them the Brooklyn Embassy. But now we un now I understand now, knowing the history of the Black Spades. Right, yeah. Niggas was tough. Yeah. So, you gonna bring some music outside without permission? Mm -hmm. You had to be a part of something to bring music outside. So Mario, it's a guy who has an interesting page on Instagram called King Class. He documents all the 70s gangs. Okay. That movie, The Warriors, was loosely based on the Spades. Because mm. they were the biggest gang, and after them, Power Bronx. No Zulu Nation at this time. Right. You had to have a juice card to come outside with some music. So coming outside with some music would be the equivalent of hanging out in... Brevoort houses with a Rolex on flooded with diamonds. Mm. Just a DJ set. You yeah. got to be connected. Yeah. Oh, that's Supreme and them cousin. Don't fuck with him. Yeah. Oh, you know, Supreme and killed him a couple of niggas. All right, we going to leave his watch on his wrist because mm -hmm. we don't want that smoke. Yeah. That's what a DJ set was in the 70s. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, from my understanding, Herc's sister was dating one of the spades mm. and when Herc came over and saw what Mario was doing mm -hmm. I got the bug yeah yeah he took it to another level the student right. is always gonna outshine the teacher at some mm -hmm. point but I feel like if niggas ain't from the Bronx I had an argument on Instagram with a nigga he's like I'm a hip-hop historian yeah <laughs> All right, shut the fuck right. up see this is why I like to have people that's seen it that been there and touched it 
that could actually talk and tell. Because I'd be researching stuff on YouTube. So, well, but if I could sit next to somebody right. that's seen it, I'm like, oh, I'm like this. What? So there's more. Let me know. Tell me. Talk, keep talking, bro. Yeah. So, so there's more. Not yeah. to discredit the Bronx, mm -hmm. but it might have started in Harlem. It's a what about tricky. Brooklyn. Brooklyn has some DJs over there. Who's the first MC that you know of ever in hip hop? I'll give you a clue. Snoop Dogg had to bring him out in Yankee Stadium because none of these frauds, this fake. It, it took a California nigga to bring out the first recorded MC ever. Yo, Snoop did it. Who Snoop brung out? Slick Rick, Curtis Blow. Keep going. Uh. Damn, who? Ooh, ooh, dun, 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 dun. Looking back in time through the corners of my mind, I see you stand. DJ Hollywood. He's from Harlem. Hollywood was rocking Harlem World. Mm -hmm. He was rhyming off of. Ain't no stopping us now. Mm. So it's a tie between Busy B. I was about to say that too, yeah. And Hollywood, because these are the first two known. So you got to interview Busy B and Hollywood together. Right. To figure get that, out. Get that history. The mm -hmm. history. Please do, because they, you know, nah, elders facts. now. Nah, facts. Definitely. Yeah. So we'll reach out to them. Whatever it is, we got it. We did it, and I'm happy for it. Then you got records. 1968, here comes the judge, and everybody rise. Um, Pygmy Markham was rhyming on record. Mm -hmm. I got a record on my Instagram that I just found with niggas, 1968, niggas is rhyming. <laughs> so it probably trickled from a, a, a record that your mother played in the house, said, I'm going to go outside and do this because right. I would be the man. Because was it, wasn't there disco before hip-hop? Well. Because it's always something that... We pull from something that creates something new. Well, look, we went from funk into disco. Mm -hmm. And see, here's the thing, right? Famous story. The first time Herc played music in Bronx River Projects, they were throwing toilet seats off the roof at him. <laughs> Wait a minute. So he gets on the mic. He says, yo, stop. I'm going to play Apache. That's How were you hip hop if you didn't play Apache? And those are my friends. These yeah. are my elders now. Yeah. But at that time, they was 13 years old, and they was pissed off because they couldn't hit the floor because he wouldn't play this record. Mm -hmm. He was a disco. He's a disc jockey. Disco. Pause. Bam was a BJ. Pause. A brake jockey. Jazzy J was a brake jockey. Red Alert was a brake jockey. Mm -hmm. He was a disc Flash. jockey. You over in the fucking Bronx River playing do 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 the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> so respect for her because he did get it, mm -hmm. and he took it out of the cold and took it into the PAL. Right. And this don't come from me. The elders are man. You know who? You know who you got to get in here. And he don't hate her, but he'd be like, get out of here, because he was one of the ones on the roof. Throwing shit. He's one of the black spades. Mr. Biggs from the Soul Sonic Force. They were 13 years old. They were throwing toilet seats. Get Mr. Biggs in here. I'm going to look him up. Because he's yeah. one of my, him and Father Time. Okay. Get them in here. Because they was on the roof. Like, get out of here. Play Apache. <laughs> Damn. 
Mr. Biggs, pow, wow, so sonic force. Yeah. They were the ones on the roof throwing shit at him. How you start a hip hop if niggas is throwing record, throwing toilet seats? <laughs> at that time, they changed the toilet seats to Bronx River so the roof had all of them. Uh -huh. So they just went up there and threw all of them shits off. That's crazy. Please stop throwing stuff. I'll play Apache. So seeing all this form in front of you, how did it inspire you to even start producing and making beats and all that? That came later. That came after. See, 1984, I'm 13 years old, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm gonna turn, um, I'm gonna turn 14. Yeah. Uh, we were in Breakin' and B Street. That was the only thing that fucking mattered. Mm -hmm. You might have just got your first taste of pussy. <laughs> um, we're coming out of slacks and playing always and forever. <laughs> Getting the dry humps in the community center. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and we just got thrown into paid in full. Mm. So that killed hip hop for us. Yeah. That fuck, we went to jams still. But yeah. we, we going to the jams now. There ain't no more leaves, bro. We wearing guests. Yeah. Chasing money, big change. Guess everybody wear Gucci and all that shit now. Guess was the biggest deal. Right. Your new guess outfit. You had to have a guess outfit every week, and your pockets had to have the mumps. Mm-hmm. So that was the transfer then. I'm not saying hip hop died, but crack kind of put a damper on where it was supposed to go. Yeah. But yeah. thank God for Brooklyn and Queens. Mm-hmm. And thank God for the brothers like Russell and all of them that made record companies and the Fly Tie and, and the Juice Crew and Mr. Magic. Yeah. But the shit kind of parted like the Red Sea. You know? There was a whole slock of kids who went into Dress and Fly. Mm -hmm. and, and really all we were doing was blowing up companies like New Balance. Right, Adidas. Adidas. Guess. Fila. Because back then, it's like the way you dig for a record, you dug for clothing. Yeah. And there's clothing companies that didn't even make it that would have made it if they stayed. Like Gant? Yeah. Gant was competing with Nordica. It was like, oh, nigga, you got the Nordica jacket, I got the Gant on. It was like, <laughs> yeah. So we were children. That, it was about dressing fly, getting girls, going mm -hmm. to the hotel, going to the Pelham Gardens, a short stay. So little nigga got an extension. Now, we were doing grown shit at 14 years old. Yeah. But... Hip-hop kind of got sideswiped by crack. You were corny to be hip-hop. To be a rapper. In 1984, to be a rapper. Yeah. The rappers emulated the men that was getting money. Mm-hmm. And that came later. I and, became the sound, and the sound also changed, too, because now you're starting to see, like, KRS-One coming up, Rock, being Rakim, the EPMDs, Public Enemy. That shit is, I can, just saying the name, I can, I'm, I'm there. Because they also bringing that look, too, because that's, when I seen Rakim, I was like, oh, snap. Like, that really sparked my hip-hop spirit to even be like a rapper. Like It I was, was corny to be a rapper, but Rakim had a different. Changed that tone, though. No, it was just like, Rakim was running around with some folks. Yeah. And... 
I may have saw the real 50 Cent once or twice in my life, mm -hmm. but Rakim was like, he was, a, he was more of a street nigga that was rapping for back then. Right. He had a different air about him, like, yo. Mm -hmm. And everything back then was like, yo, them Brooklyn niggas. Yeah. So Brooklyn, Brooklyn come tear the club up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was always that, uh, that rivalry between the Bronx and Brooklyn and all that. For nothing. It's children's shit because Brooklyn takes stuff. And we were upstairs, uptown selling stuff. Bronx and Harlem was selling stuff. Yeah. They came to the rooftop and tore it up. Dougie Fresh's 1986 Dougie Fresh birthday party. Brooklyn tore that shit up. <laughs> tore that shit up. Bum rush. They couldn't get in. Yeah. Oh, shit. Now you stuck outside. 8,000 Brooklyn niggas and got off the D train. They came, they robbed, and they ran back to the D train. And niggas were shooting at them. And they robbed. Yo, that's crazy. No, it was, New York was different. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a young cat, but I'm looking at y'all. Y'all to be the, the, the older dudes or cousins or the brothers that's running around. I'm, we the little brothers watching y'all, watch what y'all doing, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I used to always look out my front window, seeing all the action, mid-80s and yeah. all that. New York is generic now. All the stores are the same, the people are the same, uh, the, the men are glamorous now. Mm-hmm. Men are glamorous now. We wasn't glamorous. It was like, oh shit. It's like, I don't gotta have a $10,000 sweater on to fit in. Right. So for that time, New York was a, a, the rose petal that grew out the concrete because um, nobody gave a fuck about what you was doing. It was like, all right, we moving like this here. Yeah. And the way you could tell the Bronx and the Harlem, an identification card, <laughs> you got it on your head. Midnight Blue. Mm -hmm. All this beige, brown, bring, no, midnight blue and white. That's it. New era. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Simple. We ain't doing the pinwheel colors and all We hustling. This, you know what I mean? We ticket scalping. We got some Gore-Tex on. Yeah. Even down to the boot game, pre-84, the scramblers and the dope boys would wear turtle boots because turtle boots had the sole that you could rip out the bottom so you could keep your dope in the shoe and the police could search you and they wouldn't find nothing. Ooh. Turtles, and then after Turtles, it was Hermes Survivors, Beige Constructions. This is where the whole Beige boot comes from. That was 83, then it was North Lakes, mm -hmm. but Timberland won the war. Okay. If they had, uh, if the other boot companies that kept going, they would have been, but Timberland came up with the eight inch beige suede joints. Yeah. That was it, the whole New York had them on their feet. <laughs> it was all bad. That was the crack era boot. Yeah. Like, you was really a big deal. Like, you know, things that are a big deal now, there was no internet, so, mm -hmm. yo, yeah, yeah, oh, you got the good bucks on, you got the good eight-inch joints. <laughs> and then the 20s came. I had the 20s in 1984. Wow. You know? That's so crack crazy. just changed a lot of shit, man, you know? And it pushed. Now we had something we never had before. Money. Yeah. So now it was like, how secondary could music be to a child that was just, yeah, I was, I'll buy a DJ set. Man, fuck that DJ set. Mm -hmm. I'm going outside to make 500. Yeah. I'm going outside to make a G for myself. So, you know, I'm not saying we were the kingpins. We were the throwaways. Right. But that was the, and this is every child in New York City is going through this shit. Wow. So they, it's like the CIA played a vicious trick because all the elders got removed. Mm -hmm. All the guy fishes, 
all of the James Browns, the Frank Mack, they were either disappearing or they were either getting convicted. All the 70s guys were getting convicted. Yeah. Peter Monsanto, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, and it left children. Yeah, because they filled was keeping the vacuum. The, they was keeping the order in the neighborhood. Because now, I'm not going to front, I love Harlem. When I first went to Harlem, I went to Harlem before I was in the game, mm -hmm. and I loved it because it was like a bigger, cozy corner. Yeah. Because remember at that time, sandwich niggas was about getting money. It wasn't about eh, all the right. gang signs right. and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. the first time I went to Harlem, it was amazing. It was like a bigger, cozy corner. And the first time I, I went with my man Jungle June and, and Big Whitey, they took me to Taft Projects, and they were having um, Harlem Week. And I saw Andre Harrell and them yeah. oh, performing shit. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Wow. Andre Harrell. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? With the suits on. So Harlem was a fit for me. And I was like, damn, this is like a, it's ghetto, but it's a bigger, cozy corner. Got that flash Everybody toy. had stuff on. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Members only jackets and leathers and uh, the, the leather of that time, 84. Like the V bombers, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the goons jacket. Really? The stick up nigga, yeah. the shooter, the V bomber was trouble. Now it's fly to wear now yeah. like, with the fur on it and all that. But the hustlers wore the square joints, the Philippe Monets. Oh, okay. Those was the joints. <laughs> that was like, you really, how a nigga with a V bomber is gonna give you the side eye. Like, yeah, how much those run you? Back then, uh, uh, Philippe Monet had to be about $500. That would have been $1,500 Yeah, exactly. They were square. They were cream, brown, and like a beige yellow. Mm, okay. That was like the 115th Street Lennox Ave jacket. You yeah. was getting You was really... It's things that made you big back then that could never make you a big deal now. Right. But there was no internet and... It was like if you was in the game as a child, you was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So talk about that transition from running around in the streets, doing your thing, then coming into the music game. What was that transition? What made you want to transition into the music? Well, from 14 to 20 years old, I was knee deep. Mm -hmm. I was in D.C. I was in Springfield, Massachusetts, and a few other places. Yeah. And... Um, we're doing grown shit. You kissing your... I think about that shit as an adult now, like, you're kissing your mother on the cheek, seven at night, you ate dinner, you're getting on an Amtrak to go to Washington, D.C. to sell crack and a project called Mayfair that is super dangerous. Right. You got 13 Wayne Perrys out here. <laughs> Crazy. And... At the time, right where we are, I had... Uh, I was beefing with a nigga who had a booming block, right up the block, 10th Avenue, 47th Street, mm -hmm. Hell's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And making about 1990, I'm 19 years old, I'm making about three to 6,000 a night. But I'm beefing with a nigga who's been here for years. Right. I'm 19, he's 40. You had a team with you too? No. All you by yourself? Wow. So my cousin lived there. That's how I found out about it. Okay. But um, I'm getting to it. 
And you know, you young, you're challenging. I did have a partner, but it just so happens that my partner wasn't there. So mm -hmm. I got to go into my partner because he's, he's really the segue into music. Right. Um, I'm beefing with this guy. And while I'm beefing with the guy, I should have known. They play hockey in Hell's Kitchen Park. There's a little kid with a hockey glove. It's seven in the morning. <laughs> when I'm young, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to fight this thing. I'm like, I know I could take him. Yeah. He's walking over. He turns to the little kid, pulls the gun out the hockey glove. Bam, bam, bam. Hits me. Spun wow. my ass around. He's going to kill me. White lady is in the car like, beep, beep. Because he got me in the middle of the street on 46th and 10th Avenue. Mm. Right here. Wow. So he said, yo. I should murder you. My name come up with police or anything, I'm gonna kill you. He he walks across the street to another nigga who's standing out there, and the guy hands the guy got a 10-speed bike, he jumps on the 10-speed. It was like a movie. The little kid walked, everybody, yeah. Every, they were sizing me up. Mm -hmm. So I'm hit up. Um, it went through my artery in my leg. So, you know, it was a serious operation for back then. Yeah. And um I'm in the hospital, I'm healing up, plotting revenge. Mm -hmm. um, but now, it took me a few months to heal. Now on my downtime, I'm in contact with my partner's cousins who were the dancers for Brand Nubian. Oh, okay. I knew I wanted to do music. If I never had that time to focus and figure it out, right. probably would have been dead. Because mm -hmm. the only thing I want to do is, it's like the movie Superfly. What was his aim? To move a lot of blow. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like Rich Porter, AZ, Alpo, and Kev Childs. Yeah. Nappy Red, Nate, Al Capone. These are the names. So it's safe to say. Wise, Al B, Crusader Rob, Kev Childs. This is your role models as a young man. You're looking at niggas is driving convertibles, mm -hmm. especially Rich Porter. Because to me, when I was a child, he was the epitome of flyness. He was New York. Right. If you could encapsulate New York before we started sucking California's dick and Chicago's balls, Richard Porter was New York City every mm -hmm. day. I never saw him out of pocket. Mm. So... What happened with the children was we see Rich with some shit on, everybody's going to get it. Right. He was the nigga who made it okay for gear. Wow. So you know, it's safe to say hip-hop saved you? Yeah. To a certain extent? Yes, all the way. That's beautiful, man. Damn. Thank all you, hip-hop. Thank you for saving this brother's <laughs> life, man. Whoa. All the way because... And giving us these classic hip-hop joints, too, man. And it's man. not that I'm a bad guy but yeah. the moment was like to come outside you just wanted to make money yeah the dream it wasn't i i never forget the word in harlem was because i hustled down in harlem for a minute because i was trying to break into harlem mm -hmm. but harlem really <laughs> wasn't the place to go you yeah. know but um 138th everybody was talking about it they was like you could get in the brownstones for a dollar but you got to live in it and you got to fix it up and the living it and fix it up part was like uh they were having these community meetings. Mm -hmm. We didn't give a fuck. Try and get a brownstone now. Sure. In Harlem. 
five million. And gentrified yeah. Wheaties, cornflakes. They gave they they had it for us. But once again, what the crack era was, was if you put a loaded handgun in a six-year-old's hand, what's gonna happen? You're gonna hurt somebody. You're gonna hurt somebody or hurt yourself. Yeah. So they removed the old timers, and it was a bunch of even the people we were looking up to. Rich Porter died at 21. I studied him for about five, six years. Wow. He, that was the same age? No, no, not at all. He was, a, he was an elder. Rich died when I was 18 years old, 1989. You yeah, know what I'm like saying? Like the big bro. That's when he died, but I got to meet him and shake his hand. And, and you know, to explain it to young people, if there was a club where every weekend Lil Wayne, Drake, Jay-Z, 50 Cent, Nas hung out every week mm-hmm. yeah. and they bought cars and switched them every week, that's what the rooftop was. So we went to skate, get girls, and see. Yeah. It was a school. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was a fucking school for, for child criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, just to be there to even see it and so feel it. So that's what it was back then. That's, mm-hmm. what it, that's what the law was about. Yo, I'm going to the top. Right. That's what we all say. Yo, you going to the top this week? Now I got the flu. I can't go. What up? Yo, I'm going to the top. So the top was a feeling. Mm-hmm. You was going there for the feeling. Yeah. And coming from our perspective, you wanted to get connected. Right. And to me, shit, AZ, Alpole, Rich Porter, Kev Childs, Wise, Crusader Rob, Nappy Red, these are the richest niggas in the world to me, man. Mm-hmm. You knew what that shit was when you saw a boogaloo in them with their pockets out here. Separating the turn-ins from the profits, whether it was all theirs or it wasn't. Right. The Lazarus, <laughs> the Jesus pieces. Mm-hmm. The anchors and all the that. The anchors. Yeah. It was like a... a you just felt invincible and you felt like you could not die mm-hmm. with all the risk involved. And um, so the other thing for me, being a music lover, 84, we was dancing when we went in there. Right. 85, the whole look changed. I got the picture with the flat top. Yeah. We was wearing the 20s, wearing the guest jeans, we was dancing. 85, it was different. Nigga, I'm not no dancer. Post it up, nigga, what's good? Mm-hmm. Where we at? Where we getting money at? Right. Little children acting like adults. Mm-hmm. So, um, but being programmed musically, I was in Rooftop in 1985, and the guy who brings me in the music game, I sat in the front of the stage and watched him perform, and that was Grand Poobah. He was part of a group called Masters of Ceremony. Oh, okay. He was the hottest nigga then. Wow. Busy B. Yeah. Fuck with me, commit suicide. Dun, 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 heavy D mm-hmm. sat right in that right there and watched Heavy D perform. So, unbeknownst to me, I don't believe in God the way they give it to us, mm-hmm. but I believe there's a source. Yes. And I think the Creator has always protected me and was lining me up for something. Right. That's how I feel about life now. Yeah. The source. Because everything connects now as a, as a fucking old man. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But back then, 
Just running wild. It was just, that was what everybody was doing. Mm -hmm. Carrying 25s in your boot. You know? So, fast forward to me getting hit up. I knew that my partner, his cousin, DJ Talim, which is one of the brand Nubian dancers, mm -hmm. then the other brand Nubian dancer was God Our Truth or DJ Our Truth. Then the other one was Tim. Tim was kind of the mysterious one. But Our Truth and them, I kept in contact with them. I told yeah. them I wanted to do music. Mm -hmm. I ended up, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I'm skipping around. Okay, do your thing. I don't know nothing about no beat machine. So now, um, I knew that I wanted to do music, and I had a friend that was moving a bunch of drugs at the time, a guy named Baby J. Okay. He's, he, he was a street figure, you know, whatever happened with him, happened with him. He's still alive, but he went through some things. His son is Speaker Knocker, the one that passed away, the producer. Okay. okay. But Baby J put up the money, okay. and we went to a studio on 130th and St. Nick called Ready or Not Studios. Mm -hmm. And we went in there, and we recorded our first demo. Did you make the beat or was you rapping at this time? I made the beat with the engineer, like put this with this with this. So it was like a producer. That first beat ever. You was orchestrating the whole thing. It movie. was um, a, a sample called Brooklyn Bridge, Casey and the Sunshine Band, I Get Lifted, and James Brown, doo 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 doo, doo 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 doo. It was all together. Yeah. It was a record called Drug War Rage. It's on the streaming sites now. Mm. 1990 called Drug War Rages. That's what the news said. And I sat with my guy and we put the song together. Yeah. And DJ Triple C was scratching on it. Chicka chicka, you can sell dope, but get your ass a job. He scratched Ice Cube's record. Oh, shit. Rolling with the lynch mob. Yeah. And that was our first demo. And it kind of, we got good feedback. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because, it's, it's funny because AZ says the same thing when he got in the, got in the music. And oh, yo, I keep forgetting this. It was no music unless Mob Style did it. Nobody mentions Mob Style. Right. The actual guys who were getting money in the street, mm -hmm. one of them decided to make music. And thank you to AZ, because if he had did that, I would have been in the street. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't cool to be a musician. Yeah, they made it cool. But when Mob Style did yeah. that, it was okay now. I said, this is what I want to do. Yeah.